Hi, and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're still married. I was looking at you if you wanted to do it. I don't know. I don't know. I was thrown off by your, your casual beginning of hi. I think we'd like to be more formal with our listeners and say hello. I think I say hi and you say hello. Yeah. You say, say yes. yes. Right? Yeah. Hello, goodbye. Yeah. Beatles. Hello, okay. goodbye. Oh, wonderful. Katie, what are we talking about today? Alan, do you believe in miracles? Oh, dang. That's a question. <laughs> so we need to define what a miracle is. When you see a post on anyone's Facebook or Instagram, or if someone tells you a story about a miracle that happened, maybe they were miraculously healed. Maybe the miracle was that they had enough money to pay rent that month. Maybe the miracle was that someone showed up right when they needed them. How do you feel when, when people share with you a miracle story? You know, I, I think that I have two parts of my brain that react at the same time. One thing that I try not to do is judge someone else's experiences. I think that it's important to, to allow their experiences to be theirs, especially if they're not hurting anyone. So the, the first, what does that mean? Hurting someone? If, if somebody has an experience that like it was, it was a miracle that I was told to do X, Y, and Z or. I mean, I'm trying not to be specific, but how does that, how does that hurt someone though? So if a family member comes to you and said, I had a miracle dream last night about you and your spouse, are you, that could be damaging to the marriage. Okay. Does sure. That make sense? But that necessarily isn't a miracle. What we look at as miracles, generally speaking, uh, what we would consider a miracle is something miraculous to, that happened to them. So if dream, if they normally have dreams, I mean, that's not a miracle. A miracle is like a life-saving event. You were in a bind and something happened. Or maybe it was a miracle when the right words came to your mind at the right time. Or you weren't able to conceive and then all of a sudden you got pregnant. I mean, it's usually something that's like life-altering and we can we can define big miracles versus little mer- miracles and i think you can even throw in tender mercies right tms <laughs> yes you can you can throw that in as well but i i look at it as as something that was a something transformative that made you say say to yourself wow that's a miracle sure that's that's fair and before we keep going we should probably should have prefaced this this episode is much more about the topic of miracles, and we're going to get into fear as well. But we also just want to model how Katie and I disagree on this topic, and we want to give an example of kind of how we can have that con- this conversation without fraying each other's feelings. Is that a phrase? Fraying each other's feelings? Anyway, uh, that's respecting what we're, each res- other's feelings. Yeah, yeah. We want to be able to have this conversation and disagree respectfully. You know, I think one way that I frame miracles is, and this isn't a this isn't an unfaithful way of thinking of it. They these are occurrences that are a statistical, not necessarily improbability, but a low statistical chance of occurring. So a miracle can be you're late for a test, and you go to the parking lot, and all the spots are filled, but then the opening someone gets into their car and drives off right as you get to it, even though there's 20 other cars circling like vultures. You happen to be driving by right at the right time. You get to your test five seconds before it starts. That is a statistical significant event that had a low probability of occurring. Okay. That's like, yeah, you can you were say a that. One out of 25 people that got that spot at the right exact moment. Okay. Right. Sure. So that's for me, I can look at when someone uses the faith promoting way of looking at an experience like that. I can kind of reframe it in my brain as saying they're very grateful for the statistical improbability working in their favor in this case. And that's awesome. Like good for them. And they, and then however they attribute that is none of my business. If they want to attribute that to God, if they want to attribute that to the animal they sacrificed yesterday, if they want to attribute that to whatever they want to attribute it to. I, I try to be less concerned about that than them just expressing gratitude. Uh, I had a friend from Santa Barbara uh, post yesterday. I haven't really seen him since I graduated high school. I don't think, but he, he posted his, his baby blessing 
picture from he and his daughter. And, and I responded and I said, what a beautiful family, right? This isn't a miracle, but, but this is where putting the relationship with the person is putting that above the differences that you have. Really, you can put that into practice. I wasn't going to get into blessings. Don't do anything. And you're just making stuff up off the top of your head. And you really think that what you no, that's, that's not important. They were posting a, a beautiful picture of their family with an event that I don't believe in anymore, but that doesn't matter. Okay. But you wouldn't say that's a miracle. So like, let's get back to like actual, like, like, okay. I don't know if any of you have seen this going around, but recently there were two sister missionaries that were stabbed and one of the elders who was in the district or, or whatever that was in the mission wrote a a long Facebook post about the miracles that happened to get the sister missionaries to the ICU as quickly as possible. So for one, he called out that this, the man who stabbed the sisters didn't stab them anywhere where their garments were. So anywhere where the garments were like they were protected, but sure enough through their hands, their arms, their legs, they were stabbed. Uh, they, he mentioned that the mission president wasn't sure which hospital to go because they hadn't received the information yet. And then they went to a hospital and it happened to be the same hospital. And then another miracle was that, uh, you know, the parents were able to be there like that night to, you know, to take care of their daughters. And I mean, there were all these things surrounding it. And I mean, it's circling among all of, you know, because as, LDS folk, we like to hear, you know, these stories of, of miracles. It's circling and you read it, something like that. And Alan, like, what is your reaction when you read something like that? Honestly, my honest reaction is that this was a string of events that happened to go the way that the events went. And that uh, you kind of alluded to it, but, but those that believe in any specific system, call it religion, politics, whatever it is, you, you look for, you look for events and you look for situations that, that reinforce that belief. So of course they're going to look at all the situations there and say, how incredible, how miraculous is this? You can change any one of those occurrences and, or you can flip the situation completely on its head. You know, couldn't the Catholic person in the apartment next to the missionaries have a better case for saying, isn't it a miracle that the robber didn't break into my place? I didn't get stabbed. God protected me over the Mormons. Doesn't that prove that God loves Catholics more than Mormons because they protected me? That's my, one of my honest thoughts is a lot of times the way I look at miracles, it draws a box around the event and ignores what happened outside of the box give you an example. A few summers ago, I was talking with a family member about a bunch of forest fires that were occurring. This is during the Paradise Fire in California, which just ravaged an entire community. This this family member brought it up to me of because at the same time, there were some wildfires in, in southern Utah County. And this they didn't damage any structures and, or anything. And, and he shared with me like there were, you know, the stake prayed and and how miraculous it was that there were no structural, there was no structural damage. There was no loss of life. And again, that was, that was drawing a box around those fires and completely ignoring the suffering that was going on in California. And you better believe that there were people that were praying LDS people that were praying in California for their structures, not to be burned for their lives, not to be lost for their city, not to be burned. But, it was burned. And for sure there were people in California that maybe let's say 20 LDS homes were burned down, but 50 were not. And so those 50 that were not burned down were likely saying, what a miracle that my house didn't burn down. But the person that house did burn down, maybe they're saying, what a miracle that our lives weren't lost. And the family member that did have someone lose their life is saying, I mean, it just, it just keeps going and going. So for me, that's what that's the difficulty that personally I have with miracles. You know, someone quote miraculously recovers from cancer that kills 98% of the people. Well, what about the 98 people that died? Like, is, is it, it, it's difficult for me to hear 
Oh, I shouldn't say difficult for me to hear, but that's what goes through my mind. I think of the 98 that didn't make it. And But that's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to interrupt here because that's, I don't feel like that's for you to say. If you can't judge other people's experiences based on what you think might have happened to the other people thinking of their own experiences. Like, I, I feel like that's, it's hard because I, I, I have a hard time feeling so cynical. I mean, I feel cynical when you say it like that. I, I feel like it's more skeptical. I'm skeptical about it. And and you're right. I don't want to... I mean, I said it at the outset. I don't want to judge other people's experiences. But I need to reconcile what is happening with with these situations based on what I currently believe. So while I'm not going to pick a fight with someone and say, how dare you think that God helped your cancer when he didn't help 98 other people's cancer? No. My response to them, and this is similar to the Baby Blessing Facebook post, my response to them will be very simple. I mean, we have a good friend who we served in the mission with, and he passed within the last 12 months of of brain cancer. And his wife, understandably so, posts about the loss and the miracles that come from in their family. And um, he, he feels her presence. And so she's made posts like, you know, I felt Jesse so strongly the other night and I'm not going to judge her and respond and say, this is just your own brain making things up. No, I respond and and I have, I've responded and said, I'm so glad that this experience brought you comfort. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. I think I'm tying it back to the very first comment that I made in this episode is that's where the two parts of my brain come in. Where it's, yeah, I have to process these experiences and try to understand them personally. But then what I do with that and how I can respond to other people, that is putting the relationship above the belief. I still want to embrace people in their comfort and not deny them of of the comfort that this experience is giving them and their attribution of, of a deity to these events. The larger, I don't want to say it's an issue, but the larger belief is that you don't feel that God intervenes in individuals lives yeah correct i i don't be and this entire conversation is one of the big reasons why if god intervened in the two people's lives that did survive the cancer why didn't he intervene in the 98 that didn't so i think for me it's it's that doesn't mean that there is no god for for me again i know that this is not your reconciliation katie and this is what not what many believers reconciliations is but for me, that that shows at least that there is a, if there is a creator, uh, they pressed play and we are at the whims of mortality. Because as soon as this intervening God intervenes in one person's life and doesn't intervene in, in another's, that, you know, there's real consequences to that person's life. Let's say it's not fatal uh, or my dad's death, right? I don't, I never felt even when I believed in God that there was any role of God in my dad's death. Because if there was, why did he save someone else's life and not my dad? It doesn't make sense to me. And if that was the belief, like I, if I, let's say when my dad was killed, I did feel that God chose for my dad not to be saved. I could have a complex around that. Why? Like, why did God do this to me? Why am I not good enough? And there, there certainly are people that, that go through really tough experiences in life and, and they feel like they're not good enough because they weren't the one to get saved. Why was I not obedient enough? I'm taught if I'm obedient that, that I'm going to receive the blessings of God. So if I didn't receive the blessings of God, I've, I must not be doing enough. So that, that belief system is really hard for me because it puts a lot of blame on the person where I don't believe it should be. I don't think, believe it should be placed on them. Okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I, I do. I do understand what you're saying. On the believer's side, I think it's very difficult for me, knowing where you are and how you feel, to share anything with you that has to do with a spiritual feeling or thought mm-hmm. or a miracle. So I, you know, I've, there's a number of people, friends, and people I don't know that I've followed their journeys through Instagram or Facebook, and just the way that they feel inspired to, you know, do chemo or inspired to help a loved one with their healing or whatever it might be. You know, I look at that and say, 
well, yeah, God has a hand in that. Like, yes. And maybe not the way that we always think they do, you know, like you, you mentioned pushing a button you know, it says play. Right. And okay. Now you're going to live and you're going to die. Right. Almost any inspiration and thought, and you can call it intuition or whatever you want. I believe I get from God. So, you know, it could be as simple as like being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. But it also, you know, I, like if we're going to talk about your dad, one of the things that I felt so strongly about, I, I think it was, it was the day that we were leaving to go home. Um, I, we sat there and he had been awake when he had his accident and then he had his surgery and he had been asleep. And that's, I don't think we necessarily thought he was going to die, but just when we were in the room with him, it was like, I had the strongest feeling like you need to say goodbye to your dad. Cause I just did not think that he was going to live through this. And I honestly thought like, this is going to be our last chance. And so I think about that and I'm like, okay, if I'm receiving inspiration, intuition, light and knowledge from something and, and I was able to, you know, convey that to you and you were able to, you know, say goodbye to your dad. Well, isn't that a miracle? Like that you were able to have that moment before he was physically gone. So, you know, when I think about it, I, I think that there's a way for people to receive, maybe they don't, maybe God's not moving things around the house and helping you find the keys. I strongly believe that people receive thoughts or inspiration or intuition Right. And I'm not discounting the, the times where, well, why didn't your mom, why couldn't have your mom just said, Jim, can you wait for 10 minutes? Cause he wouldn't have been in the crash had he waited 10 minutes, you know, to leave or, you know, I'm not, I'm not discounting the fact that she didn't get that inspiration to stop him. You know, we're just not going to be able to stop bad things from happening, but I don't think it's wrong for people to look at inspiration or intuition or like a guiding light for help when they need it most. And that may be a miracle, right? right. That might be, you know, what do I do in this case? Like Alan and I talked about when I was pregnant with our first baby, I wanted him to be a girl so bad, like so, so bad. But the morning of the ultrasound, I woke up and I'm like, you know, Alan, I think it's going to be a boy. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, I think it is. Sure enough, it was a boy. Now, I could have been totally wrong. I'm just, you can only speak from your own experience. So that I'm going to give that buffer right there. And then the second baby, I went out and bought girl clothes before I found out I wanted a girl so badly. And then the night before my, like our ultrasound, I had a dream that we went in to the ultrasound and they told me it was a boy and I spent the entire dream crying. Like the whole dream I bawled. And then I woke up and I said, Alan, it's a boy. And he's like, how did you know? And I said, I, f- I had this dream and, and, uh, I feel like God was prepping my heart. <laughs> right. And, and so when I got to the ultrasound and they said it was a boy, like I didn't, I what didn't cry. Like I thought I would have, cause I did in my dream. So, you know, I, I look at that and I, I feel so torn because at, I feel like, okay, I felt strongly that I wanted a girl. I wanted a girl so bad the first time. I wanted a girl the second time so badly. And then I had this like inspiration and this intuition that it wasn't both times and both times it was right. Again, number three came along. I had no clue. There was no intuition, inspiration, nothing. Same with the fourth, no clue, no idea, but it just so happened to be with those. It's hard for me. Like, I don't know how to talk to you about like any miracles that happen or any intuition or inspiration that happens because I feel like I'm going to be analyzing it. I'm going to be you know what? Real okay. I'm. I'll be so honest. Please do. You know the scripture that comes to mind is, and don't take this the wrong way, but 
the scripture that comes to mind is casting your pearls before swine. Right. Not that you're swine and not that like I'm like holier than thou. That's not the point. It's just giving information to someone who won't appreciate it. You know, you talk about Warcraft to me and I definitely don't appreciate it. I've unsubscribed, by the way, just so everyone knows. <laughs> I, so I, I just like, oh, that's where I have a hard time is I feel like as transparent as you want to be with me, I also want to be transparent in sharing with you the things that I feel are miracles or the things that I do feel like get inspired by. And, and it's hard to do when I know in your mind you're like, Okay, well, this is what she's she's reasoning out in her head, and she's searching for things to to look at, and I and and that's been really hard in our marriage. I haven't shared pretty much anything with you since you told me about your faith transition. Right. So this is where I would ask you to to trust me to lean into the, into the discomfort of being truthful with me, because when you come to me and you and you share these experiences. I try to treat the situation the same way that I treat the Facebook picture of the baby blessing. I I can simultaneously feel extremely grateful that you had a meaningful experience. I'm so glad that this gave you comfort. I'm so glad that this is that this experience has been so helpful for you and thank you for sharing it with me. I'm glad that you did even though you know that I'm disagree with your conclusions. I'm not disagreeing with the comfort that this experience gave you. I may disagree that your dream about having a boy came from God, but I'm so happy that you had that dream because it, it took away some discomfort. It prepared you. It prepared you for future discomfort. Once you learned that it, that it was a boy, cause it, it kind of prepped you for it. Right. I'm very grateful that you had that experience. I, I almost don't feel like it's necessary to then have some kind of disagreement conversation about what that experience means. That's why I look back at our experience of how I mean, we talked about it on the Mormon stories interview with John Delin. We, we talked in detail about how we came to meet on May 8th, all the events that led up to it and, and how we ended up getting married. And there are there miracles in that? Yeah, there are miracles in that. Now, would we differ on explaining how those miracles or statistically improbable events led to us being married? <laughs> Yes, we would. And I'm rolling my eyes right now because I I think like I just bristle at the fact we're like statistical improbable events. Right. I think we both bristle. We both bristle at the use of the language. I bristle at the term miracle. You bristle at the term statistical improbability. Mm -hmm. That's why it doesn't matter what we're concluding. It matters that we are both grateful that that experience happened. I remember when you asked me like you, you expressed, and I'm trying not to put words in your mouth so you can express it if you'd like to, but when you expressed like, I'm worried that, you know, with your beliefs changing, what does that mean about how we were put together? And my response is, you know, I don't know exactly what, what the mechanics were behind us getting, getting together, but I'm certainly grateful that they happened. I don't feel like I need to recognize or define clearly in concrete, define how we got put together that rather than I can just be grateful that we did get put together. That's completely fine. I don't need to disparage your interpretation of how we got together. I can, we both can just be grateful it happened. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. Like I'm that also, I don't feel like we need to ignore the fact that we have differences because when we talk about differences, like we are now, like in this weird, strange, you know, positive and negative ends of a magnet, we are drawn to each other. So it's, it's okay to disagree. You don't have to bring it up every time, but I'm glad that we'd bring it up. You know, right now we're bringing it up because it, it helps us understand one another. And that brings us closer. Like I, I honestly, I do not think poorly of you for you attributing these miracles to God. I don't, I, I don't know how else I can say it. I don't think poorly of you for that. I appreciate you saying that. I don't think poorly of you for you know, sometimes I've told you, like, I feel like you have like a chip on your shoulder when you say stuff like this, because I'm like, gosh, like, can't you recognize that maybe there's something bigger than us, you know, <laughs> or like helping us out? I right. think that one thing you and I have both talked about that we both can agree on is that we both know that it's people doing the the service or the work or being good humans that are usually 
the key component in a miracle happening, right? So, I mean, yes, you can be miraculously healed from a disease or something, but someone pulling over to the side of the road to help you change a flat tire or, I mean, you can think of a billion reasons. Someone donating money for you to go through the workshop. Someone who shows up in your doorstep unannounced to see how you're doing or bring you cookies right. or something. You choose a neighbor in need for secret Santa, all those, all, all those, those things. things. And so I, I think that that is a really good commonality we have Yeah, because knowing that really motivates us to be the person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is the, that's a really good point. This is a very strong link that can help bridge the differences. Ultimately, that link of, of believing that we are the agents of change, uh, that is enough to overcome the difference. That is enough for us to come band together and actually go and, and make an impact. Because I think one thing I do want to say with a lot of people uh, that disagree with my belief about God's role in our life, one common mis- misconception is this exact point that we're saying is that you're taking God out of the equation and that's wrong. That's, you know, we, we need God. God is the one that now I'm venturing into territory. You don't agree with here, right? Like God is the one that implants that inspires us to do these right things. Since I embrace, and I did even before my faith changed, since I embrace, like we are the agents of change, there is something incredibly empowering about knowing, or I say, no, I shouldn't use that term about believing that, that if there needs to be a change, even the inspiration to do the change comes from within. It comes from us. It's not a, I'm not trying to say that's a selfish thing. It's not like, look how great I am. I can do this, but it's, it's more of a call to action. Again, it's, I can't sit and wait for someone to tell me what to do, whether it's someone sitting in the room next to me or somebody, uh, you know, supernatural, I have to sit and ponder. I have to think of solutions for those problems around me and the, and solving the problems for people around me. If I want anything to happen, if I sit around and wait, it's not going to happen. That's, that's how I approach these situations. I actually really agree with what you're saying. I want to just like switch gears a little bit about miracles because I'm thinking of one instance in particular one thing that happened to me that i didn't tell you about till just like oh a couple of days ago so a couple of days ago i told alan about an interview i had with a stake presidency member and the stake presidency member was trying to be how long ago was this just for this was two plus years ago so it was right early on 2017 i mean we were in the thick of it right right so i said to him, what is your perception of Alan? What do you think I should be doing in order to help him stay in the church? Basically, this presidency member said to me, Katie, do you have enough faith to pray that a trial will turn Alan's heart to the Lord? And at first I, I was really shocked by what he said. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, if, if you prayed for a miracle that, the, that God would send a big trial to Alan so that he will turn back to the Lord and remember that the Lord is there and that the church is true, do you have the faith to do that? And I, oh guys, for me, that was very unsettling. And Alan and I, we actually put a quote up on our Instagram page the other day, and I think it resonated with a lot of people. When a loved one or leader tells you to pray your spouse's heart will change by way of a very difficult trial, they unwittingly do one or maybe both of these things. One, invalidates my spouse's real concerns and experiences. Two, implies that God rules by fear instead of leading with love. Neither of these things are compassionate, kind, or have your best interest in mind. I actually didn't mean to like rhyme or anything, but <laughs> that's that's the quote we posted because after speaking about this, I told Alan how upsetting that was to me. Not only did he invalidate Alan's feelings about 
what he had learned, but he was invalidating mine that this right now was the biggest trial that I was going through. Really, it was like devastating for me. One of the hardest things that I've ever done. And and for him to say, well, if you pray for something to happen, maybe something bad will happen to you. And I thought to myself, can you see that what I'm going through is bad enough? Like, why would I make myself suffer even more? Or, you know, the first thought that came to my mind was that like a child would die or something. Why would I pray for something like that when already I'm, I'm struggling with what is happening in the here and now? How did you feel when I told you about that? I, I was shocked. Uh, I had met with this leader a number of times and I didn't expect that to come from this leader. So yeah, hearing it, I kind of shook my head. I mean, it makes me think like, I think this is why many transitioners away from the LDS church, many people in my situation end up having a very damaged relationship with God, or they stop believing in God altogether because of thing experiences like this. Uh, It's much more complicated than that. So don't feel like, because I I do not, I do not, my belief in God is not shaped by other people, but can you see how my relationship with the church's framing of my relationship of God can be damaged? So not only, you know, the first half of this conversation that we've had, Katie has been about miracles, the positive influence that God has in our lives. And now we're introducing God providing what's the antithesis of a miracle, you know, a trial or a tragedy. So God is not only the, the person fixing the tragedy, but he's the one that is cursing us with the tragedy as well. Like this just makes the whole like intervention of God so complicated and so convoluted in my mind that I just go, no, you guys just stop it. Can't, can't we not go there? This opens the door to God did put this trial of my dad dying in front of me to go through what I'm going through. God was the reason why my dad died. That's terrible. Like that's, I, I, I didn't believe that when I believed in God. And certainly I don't believe that now. It's, I just don't feel like that is consistent with the God that I was raised to believe in. So then my question I have for you, Katie, is like, what does this lead you to feel like the role of trials in our life and whether those come from God or not? Like is, yeah, I'll just pose that question. Oh, gosh. I think that we like to say, you know, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I I think of that saying and I think, well, if I'm making lemonade and I'm starting from scratch, what am I doing? I'm, I'm learning how to make lemons. I'm planting the seed. I'm growing the bush. I'm trimming it back. I mean, it's, it's a process, right? Making lemonade doesn't mean that you're like instantly happy and instantly like you can get over things, especially when it comes to a trial. I think trials, uh, we find ourselves going through a process of making it into something good. And you can say that that trial help if if you're a religious person, I don't think there's anything wrong saying that this trial helps me be to become a better person. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we taught our whole kids completely outside of a religious discussion. Mm-hmm. We we taught our kids via a Mark Rober YouTube video that you can gamify failure, and when trials come your way, you can you can think of them differently so that they're actually learning experiences. Like that's an incredibly important lesson to learn. So then the question is, is it harmful to attribute that, that trial, that growing experience to God? And at what point is it harmful? Cause in this situation, it was harmful for you to think like you're going to pray for your husband to have a trial to humble himself. But yeah. is there a line there? Is there like a certain severity? Are there certain like, stage one trial, stage two, and God will do those because they're not really permanently long lasting, but stage three, he's not going to kill somebody to teach a lesson. Like, I don't know. Like how, what do you think? No, that's really complicated to answer. Right. We're not going to figure that out. I'm not really qualified to to answer something like that. I think specifically with the example we'll give with the sick presidency member. Okay. 
you know, when he said that to me, could you, you know, could you pray for a, a, a trial to happen? Uh, instantly I was filled with fear, like fear that something bad would happen to my family, fear that God would te- quote unquote teach you in a way that would do more destruct, you know, destruction. When I, when I think of trials, I think that fear is a big factor in them. If it's something that you are feel fearful of or that instills fear in your heart, I don't really think that's from God. Gotcha. Does that make sense? So you would, you would go on, just so I'm understanding you, you would go on how the situation makes you feel inside. So there could be another situation where the same person says the same thing to you. And for whatever reason, you are filled with, I think I could handle a trial. And you're actually filled with a different emotion, not fear, but acceptance. Would that be more likely Mm. for you to accept that that came from God? Because it's not eliciting, fear is not a God-induced emotion for you. So if it doesn't evoke fear, is, is that more likely for you to accept that it's from God? I don't necessarily believe that like God's like, I'm going to give you this trial. I, I think I get right. a little bit, I, we can use the word bristled. I get bristled when someone says, well, God gave me this trial in order to make me better. Right. Well, that, that might be true. I think that the bigger thing is that you decided somewhere along the way that the trial was not going to get you down, that it was going to make you into a better person. Yeah. Right. I mean, lots of people have trials and some fail at them miserably. Right. In their own opinion. But I think that that's your decision on how you want to appropriate. Is God's hand in like, is, does God inspire you to take a trial and make a positive out of it? Like I'm trying to understand where, where God's role is in these situations for you. Yeah, for me, I I feel like when something bad happens, when a loved one is is lost or um, lost, meaning passed away or whatever it might be, I definitely look to God as like someone to lean on to, or you know Jesus to, in order for me to feel like my burdens are lifted, or that He is pulling for me. Like, I think knowing, for me, knowing that there's uh, someone out there who cares more about me yeah. than sometimes I even care for myself um, in that way is motivating to me. I mean, it certainly has helped me um, get through a lot of difficult challenges. Sure. I mean, in the same breath, if you get through a trial, do you appropriate that to your own, your, your own strength? Well, it's both. I I actually agree with your previous statement. Like it is very comforting knowing that there are, there are other people that have helped support me that have helped me get through trials. That's part of the benefit that we talk about with doing the podcast is we've met so many couples that are in the same situation as, as us. So when we have a trial that something very difficult that comes up because of our mixed faith marriage, the, the support network that we have built is really strengthening and very helpful for us. So I have the same exact feelings that you do when it comes. I'm very grateful that someone is there for me, that I can always turn to this person or I can always turn to God. Same exact thing. I just have a different support network. Uh, For me, it's like, that's where the commonality is. The commonality is that we recognize that in many cases, we need more than our own strength to get through something, or at least we'll get through something quicker and better if we have some external person or deity helping us get through it. Right. That, that's something that we can both agree on. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not turning to God because I don't believe that there's anyone to turn to. And I will turn to other people. And that's great. And I know that that's probably you, you kind of maybe you think in your mind like, well, I wish you would. Or I don't know what you think. But we both have our networks and God is part of your network. And if that is comforting to you, I'm not. I don't think you're silly. I don't like I. It doesn't work for me, but I know it works for you. So, okay, I want to say this because I recognize that you and I cannot fulfill 100% of the things that we need, right? We both have some autonomy in the relationship. We both cannot expect, 
you know, each other to fulfill everything. Do we need to share with each other? Like when there's a miracle or when I'm going through a trial and I'm saying like, oh, God's helping me so much. Is, is it appropriate for me to share that with you? Or does that, or can I have a network of, of people at church or friends or whatever that I can share that with and just be okay not sharing with you? My own personal feeling is that it's not one or the other. It's both that we, we already kind of discussed this. so We don't need to go over it in full detail again, but there's something that pulls us together when we express our differences to each other. We don't have to re bring up difficult topics over and over and over again. But to come back to the table and talk about miracles and how we're feeling and you sharing a story of how you feel. And I know, Alan, I'm bringing this up knowing that you don't agree with this and it's making me uncomfortable, but I feel like it's important I share this with you. Like, I think that, that those moments are important. You don't have to share every single thing with me, just like I don't have to share every single thing about my disbelief with you. Okay, every once in a while. Yeah, I think it's just as healthy to have other networks where no. you can express that. Yeah, that's, I you agree. don't you don't always have to go to the other person. Yeah, and, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, because I, I think that 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 needs that distinction needs to be made. Is you cannot count on your partner to 100 percent fulfill that role. And I know what you're saying. You can come together. You can you can do that, but. At, at some point, you're going to want to discuss this with someone else, mm-hmm. someone who feels the same as you. I mean, I love Disney. I love Disney. And with Alan, you know, he'll listen. <laughs> but it's really fun for me to talk to people who also, also love Disney. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that... Margie, you, Rachel. I think that if you don't feel like you can handle it as a spouse hearing that thing, because everybody's in a different place. Some are new, some are, you can fill that, fulfill that role with other people. And that's not sliding your spouse. That's not taking away from uh, the emotional intelligence or relationship you have with them. I think that that gives you some autonomy and gives you an outlet. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. The, the, the trick of it is finding that balance. Because I, you know, you've been honest, I've, I'll be honest, and we've talked about this, this isn't new to you. Our intimacy, you know, the four intimacies, our intimacy suffers when we just don't talk about it. If we avoid, if we 100% of the time avoid the difficult conversation so that we avoid that confrontation, we avoid the difficulty, we are, our intimacy suffers. So the balance is finding that spot in the middle where we're bringing up hard topics but not so much to the point where it's now damaging our relationship. Yeah, but I'm not even like necessarily speaking to like hard topics. Just I think in general, you know, sharing a mirror like, hey, you know, so-and-so is in remission. Isn't that cool? Like you can talk with your spouse about, I mean, these are general things that happen in everyday life, right? These don't always have to be like really long, drawn out, Sit down. We need to talk about marijuana. Okay. So many of our listeners are in a place where they cannot talk about any of this. Mm. Miracles, trials, none of this. And there are some some that are living in fear. They're fearful of saying their true feelings. They're fearful of just being themselves. Right. So what, what can a couple do? What happens? What does it look like when we, when we live in fear in our own marriage? Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to answer your first question first. What can a couple do? I think a lot of these conversation opportunities that can be very difficult and bring up some elicit some fear based responses. I think that I think of them as muscle memory and working out a muscle. It gets stronger over time. And when you start doing push-ups, especially when you're 270 pounds and you have really weak arms, you can only do a few push-ups. But over time, you build the muscle, and you're able to. It hurts, but you're able to. You're able to with withstand the pain. And then you're doing 20, and then you're doing 40, and then you're doing 60. And over time, you know the same exact activity because you've practiced at it becomes less painful over time. This goes back to a very common piece of advice that we give couples. Give it time and work at it. When you start, when you start, if you have a miracle conversation and you know that you, you each differ from it, 
if we rewind two years when Katie and I were having this conversation for the first time, we're at 40, 48 minutes in a podcast talking about this. We couldn't go five minutes before one of us is either raising their voice or is crying. Guess or which giving is which. the silent treatment or giving the silent treatment. And guess what? As hard as it is, you're going to have to go through those experiences. Like you have to lean into it. Someone's going to be upset. Give yourself and your spouse the space to make a mistake. You haven't learned how to communicate about this stuff. So of course you're going to say the wrong thing. Of course you're going to upset them. Of course you're going to be upset. And who cares? You got upset. You've been upset before. You'll be upset again. You'll get through it. You, you just learn from those conversations. Go back to your spouse and apologize. Like, I should have put that a different way. I'm sorry that I said it that way. Can I try again? My question to you is, is there a line? And what's the line? So you, you answer that question, if you could. I mean, I think that in a marriage, you can be fearful of saying the wrong thing about sharing your true feelings on both sides. I think that there is another type of living in fear in your marriage, and it looks like betrayal, or it looks like abuse, right. or it looks like zero communication. It looks like betrayal trauma. I, I want to make myself clear. <laughs> there, there are lines and boundaries that you can set. You know, you don't feel like you have to let the other person walk all over you. Right. Hey, no, you heard the mounts. We're supposed to have a hard conversation. Sit down and listen to this. But not just that. I think that manipulation. For sure. I mean, it can be manipulated on both sides. And, you know, using using children as pawns in that manipulation, using sex or using the fear that, oh, my husband's going to or my, my wife's going to go out and get super drunk or high tonight. Like using those as coercion to get what you want is wrong. Yeah. And I know we don't really talk about it, you know, because Alan and I, that's not the way that communicate. That's not the way that things have happened in our marriage, but there are many marriages right now that one spouse is, is mentally or, I don't, I hope not physically, but they're, they're being abusive to their spouse by using the manipulation, the coercion to get what they want. And that's wrong. And, and I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's just, you know, this year is one big fat mental cry for help. But if you are in a place feel you, everyone has the right to set boundaries. Everyone does. So just because my husband has individual autonomy, that doesn't give him the right to walk all over me and to do things that are hurtful or make me fearful of... Or secretive. Or secretive, right. Any of those things, I mean, that needs to be addressed. And Alan and I, in the beginning of the podcast... We always felt like we wanted to save marriages. <laughs> we were like, no, you can stay together. We, we want you to stay together. And now that we've been doing this for, I don't know, three years, almost three years, we realize that there are already people who have problems in their marriage, you know, similar yeah. to what I'm talking about. And then you add a faith crisis on top of it. And uh, faith crisis isn't it? shouldn't be a reason why you get divorced but but it can uncover it it can already existing reasons that that were hurting the relationship and it was not working right so So, sometimes and and we should say that so much of this so much of what we're saying is echoing what natasha helfer has taught us in our private sessions just chatting with her and then also in our workshop so um that's a big you know so we're not plagiarizing (laughs) a lot of this is coming from a, a clinical expert which is great you know, she, she's kind of taught us that successful mixed faith, mixed faith marriage has really two outcomes. The one is you're modeling a, a happy marriage when you have differences, right? Differences in marriage, and that doesn't cause you to be unhappy. And the other is that you're modeling differences, but you're no longer married. You're happily divorced or amicably, maybe is a better word for it. You're amicably divorced. So there, obviously, we are advocates of making it work, right? 
making it work. Hopefully that means that you put in the effort and you're able to have a happy marriage, but we understand that that is not always the case. Yeah. And we don't want any of you to be a doormat. We don't want yes. your boundaries to be crossed. We don't want, if, if they're, if, if your spouse is doing something that is harmful, harmful to you, um, or your children or those around them, that needs to be addressed. I don't, I don't want to, I, I just don't want people to think that we're like, oh, everyone's happy and you can work through some of these things. There are some serious dysfunction going on in, in people's marriages that they need to address. That needs to get addressed because otherwise the faith transition on top of that will just throw things into chaos. And some of you are there when you get to that point, And sometimes it, it, like you said, it does end in divorce you know, this is a whole nother subject that we, we want to address at another time. Alan, do you want to talk about the news that you got yesterday? Oh, shoot. Sure. Yeah. So yesterday, um, I got uh, a message from a friend that I met through this, uh, the post-Mormon community that uh, a listener of our podcast took his life yesterday. Uh, in Arizona, you know, this is a heavy weight to, to kind of end <laughs> this portion of the podcast, but it's this, none of this is worth that. I don't know how else to say it. I remember recording an episode pretty early on, Katie, in our podcastery, in our podcast timeline. And it was very impromptu. I think it was, it was in the single digit episodes that a listener had texted me that he was going to turn into oncoming traffic and that tore me up and I drove and had lunch with him right then and was chatting with him. And I've continued that friendship with him, which is great. But then getting the news yesterday that, that this particular man, the story ended differently for him. Uh, that just was a big wake up call and a call to action. Honestly, it's awful that this happened and it's complicated. And I, I'm so sad that, that this is the way that it had to end for him. And at the same time, and, and strangely, and not trying to take advantage or drive home a message using this tragedy, but this, this goes along with what this episode has been about. This incredibly difficult trial, and I'm not talking for us. We had spoken with him a few times, and I had met him once. This incredibly tragic event is a wake up call and call to action for us. And for everybody listening to this, you may be in a spot where the toll of a mixed faith marriage or the toll in this case, um, the marriage did not work and family disavowed him. And it was difficult for him. Obviously you may not be in that, in that space. And it's so easy to forget that other people are having a harder time all the way to the point of taking their own life have that compassion for each other. When you're reading comments on Facebook or texts from family or whatever this is, uh, whatever medium you're communicating with people, if you see anger, you see sadness, you see despair, do something. Suicide is such a complicated topic. And for any clinical experts listening, uh, I'm not trying to give any sort of expert advice here. Just have compassion for people. Extend your hand when it's needed explain how you understand how they're feeling, uh, offer for them to talk to you, uh, urge them to get help, urge them to get with that clinical expert and, and get the help that they need. We are all the agents of action, right, Katie? Yeah, that goes right back to what we, we started talking about. It's, it's interesting because it's hard because I, I think that some people never ever meet another mixed faith couple. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, so you can just count on what your experiences is. And, and I, and I'd like to think that we've created, you know, our Facebook community, we've created a community where people can freely talk about how they feel and they will be loved and there'll be empathy there and, and people will be there to, you know, just help them along and cheer them on. Well, we're not going to get into all the deep discussion about mental health. We just want you to know that there are people out there that are, are really struggling with this. And it always comes to the forefront when something 
super tragic like this happens. There are so many just wonderful stories of people who are making it work. And, and we don't want to discredit any of any of you either. But definitely be the agents of change. Reach out to those who would maybe need your support. This has been kind of a, a mishmash of so many different things that we've, we've right. talked about here. It is something that is important and we felt was mer- merited uh, an entire episode. For sure. You know, we wanted to talk about our workshop before we ended the podcast. And I think that it fits it fits into this topic because of how of why we brought Natasha Helfer into a, kind of a partnership with us to get to the workshop. It's kind of an accumulative effort. And what I mean by that is the, the first thing that is important is to recognize, like you just said, Katie, you're not alone in this. The podcast existing is evidence of that. There are other people going through this, thousands of other people going through this, that you and just in the LDS space, and then open it up to other faith. Because we know we got the Jehovah Witnesses listening to. That's right. That's right. We've gotten a few of those. You had an episode with, with an Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Yeah. Uh, hi, Ann. So, and lots of people who are just post-Mormon who want to listen. Yeah, that aren't even in a mixed faith yeah. anymore. So there's a lot of people in this space, guys. That's step one. Step two is finding that community, right? Now you know that people are there. Uh, interact with each other. Help each other out. That's extremely helpful. Go to dinner. Go to lunch join a Marco Polo group, get on the Facebook group. That's certainly helpful. And then to learn the effective ways to communicate and to thrive and navigate and fortify a mixed faith marriage, get a counselor, get a therapist, Natasha Helfer, Cemetery Souls, uh, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, we've interviewed mm-hmm. recently. Uh, we've had Julie Diaz. Julie Diaz. We've had some Hanks. great life coaches on here as well. Yes. Janice Spangler, we've talked about. I don't think she's been on the podcast yet. Uh, Lindsay Kerr. Claudine Gallagher. I mean, there's, there's so many resources out there to give you personal one on one or two on one help. And that, that's so important. And that's where the workshop comes in. Like a lot of the tools and communication techniques that Katie and I are maybe not perfectly, but are trying to display here on this episode and on all of our episodes and not just when we're recording, uh, but also when we're just talking to each other are learned from this course that Natasha is helping us as well as the couples that have signed up. How can you talk about miracles and disagree, but still be able to do it without hurting each other? And if there is hurt, how can you heal from it? And how do you take timeouts? And how do you use for me statements and all of these things? Like this is very real, practical, clinical advice. And we have just, we have three spots left. Three, four, three, three, three. We have three spots left for our starting September 22nd, our uh, workshop on a tightrope. And that can be found on uh, Eventbrite. If you go to Eventbrite and just type in workshop on a tightrope, that will show up. And you can you can sign up. We currently do not have any uh, half scholarships remaining. So if you have a need for that, we, we don't have those available currently. But if you're listening to this and that is something that you, you can help out with, you can Venmo Marriage on a Tightrope uh, and reach out to us to, to, and we can coordinate that. If you do need some help with that financially, you can reach out to us and we'll let you know if that gets donated. Yeah. And you can use your HSA card. Oh, that's Don't forget a really that. important one. So if you do have any questions about the course or how to pay with an HSA card, you can reach out to us at marriage and a tightrope at gmail.com. And if the workshop isn't in your space right now and you just want to say hi, you want to put into writing. I Seriously, the most common phrase in the first paragraph of any email that we get is, I thought we were the only ones. I thought I was alone in this. Some variation of that. If it helps just to write it out and press send, do it. The other thing that we get is, I don't know why I'm writing this. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> follow, I, that, follow that inspiration to write right. it, regardless of where that inspiration camp comes from. That, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, definitely. We love hearing from you and try to get back to everyone in a in a timely manner. The last thing I'll say is Alan and I have a project. We've oh, that's got, right. Yeah, we've got like two two projects. And so we wanted to throw it out to our listeners. We are looking for a graphic designer with layout and print experience. And we are also looking for a web designer. If you are interested in helping us out 
we, you know, we, we thought, well, if you wanted to take the course, we could trade some work um, with the course for some work on like web design or the graphic design that we need. Yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, if you want to, if you don't need the course, but you want to uh, donate your time, that's great. If you want to just get paid for it and you have the skill set, just reach out and let's talk. Right. So any of those things, but we we want to throw it out to our community because there's lots of very talented, of talented people. people. And maybe some people that, that need the work. So yeah. reach out to us and we can work out some details. That would be awesome. And we're excited to... That was a little teaser about our projects, too. We're excited uh, in the coming months to unveil oh, kind of what we're working I'm on. I'm so excited. We've got like a huge... I just want to tell them, but we won't. Don't do it. I Don't do it. Them. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. As always, you can reach out to us, marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Click like and subscribe. Shoot, that's YouTube. Never mind. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs> is that the next thing we'll do is YouTube? Oh, I hope not. TikTok. <laughs> We're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave. Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go